Hello and welcome to this podcast from Le Monde Diplomatique. My name is George Miller, and each month I bring you an in-depth interview with one of the contributors to the most recent issue of the paper. This month we focus on the article by Thomas Keenan, Director of the Human Rights Project and Associate Professor of Comparative Literature at Bard University, and Yael Weizmann, an architect originally from Israel, who's Director of the Centre for Research Architecture at Goldsmiths, University of London. It was Yael I spoke to earlier this week about the author's article on Israel in the July 2010 issue of Le Monde Diplomatique, entitled NGOs Are the Enemy Within. The article takes as its starting point the Israeli commando attack on an aid flotilla banned for Gaza on the 31st of May this year, which left nine people dead. The authors argue that this attack is symptomatic of a new attitude in Israel towards aid, human rights organisations and international law. They are seen as a threat to Israel's right to exist and consequently denounced, or, in the case of the aid flotilla, attacked. The authors believe that the roots of this tough stance can be traced back to Operation Cast Lead, the Israeli assault on Gaza at the end of 2008, and the rhetoric for Benjamin Netanyahu's government was turned up several notches after Justice Richard Goldstone's report on human rights abuses during that conflict, which was presented to the UN Human Rights Council last September. Peace Now activists, said one Israeli government minister, were a virus. Here's E.L. Weizmann setting the flotilla attack in its wider context. Well, I think that the story is really the story of the siege of Gaza and Israel's uh, multiple attempts, multivalented attempts, to enforce that siege, whether it is by stopping boat convoys, flotillas arriving from the sea, whether it is by bombing the underground tunnels on the border between Egypt and Gaza, and in all other ways. Uh, you remember even that the assassination in Dubai was, this was in, in January, I think, was actually connected to smuggling of arms to the Gaza Strip. So there is a kind of an international conflict that happens on a very, very uh, large international scale around the isolation of Gaza and the flotilla attack is obviously part of Israel's attempt to monitor and control the kinds of goods that would enter Gaza. And you see it as part of a bigger picture of the developing attitude of the Israeli state towards humanitarian aid. I mean, that's, that's the story into which you, um, you incorporate those events. Yes, exactly. I think that Tom and I were wanting to to enlarge the uh, the frame of that story and to look at Israel's relation to human rights organization, humanitarian organization, and peace organization. All of them are otherwise very distinct type of uh, engagements, but in recent years they've been compounded into a kind of um, a single category according to Israeli strategic thinking where it would start seeing those groups as posing to it a strategic threat. So we were asking how come Israel's attack on the flotilla has been so violent, it's been so disproportionate mm. uh, in its violence, and track it to uh, a process by which humanitarian human rights and peace group have been rendered as the enemies of the state. So mm. initially there's a discursive production of an enemy that is diffused in the in the larger media through different kinds of uh, government pronouncements and, mm. and other uh, independent groups or more or less independent groups that are sponsored or take the government line that create those uh, organizations as enemies. 
And I think that the, the young soldiers climbing or, or, or roping themselves onto the boat mm. are operating within that frame in which they are fighting against uh, a strategic threat. And still you see in Israel sort of reluctance to undertake adequate investigation of that or to kind of to understand to uh, its, own, its own action that it still feels that what has ha- actually happened was a kind of a trap they've been wheeled into. Mm by people that whose sole purpose is to legit delegitimize the right of Israel to exist. I mean, as you say, the, the attack on the flotilla was violent in a literal sense, but also it comes across from your article that the rhetoric which has followed it has also been extremely violent. I mean, the deputy foreign minister you quote is calling um, the flotilla an armada of hate and violence. You also cite um, a human rights organization being referred to as a virus. So it seemed to me that there's, there's been a, a marked sort of stepping up of the rhetoric too. Yes, and I think that this is really some of the results of the kind of um, conflicts after uh, that preceded the publication of the Goldstone Report in mm. September 2009, where Israel really started feeling that both its own human rights organization, peace groups and humanitarian groups, and international ones, uh, become a very effective, very effective force within that conflict. You see, a process that is very distinct in the West Bank has been happening in the recent years since the more or less pacification of the Intifada. You see more and more international groups and Israeli activists also, anarchists against the walls and Mm. uh, all sorts of organizations like Breaking the Silence and others that Mm. become very visible and significant within the public discussion. They've been quoted internationally very extensively. And it is that kind of non-armed form of resistance to Israeli colonial project, the occupation, uh, that seems to Israel now as the main threat uh, on it, or what we call in the article the third strategic threat after the uh, Iranian nuclear and Hamas and Hezbollah rockets. So they are taking it very, very seriously. Mm. And it's been a very recent phenomenon. I'm on the board of a human rights organization called B'Tselem, and we feel very, very strongly the effect of that campaign, both individually as members of the board, our CVs and our publication are being scrutinized uh, very severely. We're being accused as, again, enemies of the state. And there is a kind of um, an atmosphere like that, that I think we can connect what, what is happening within Israel and kind of the the, the attacks, the verbal attacks, and mm. the publication that tried to le- delegitimize Israeli human rights and peace groups, and what is happening internationally in terms of uh, attacking, physical attacking and killing those activists. Let me ask you why you think the reaction to Richard Goldstone's report to the UN was so pronounced, when in the past, previously critical reports have either been ignored or dismissed or or brushed aside. What do you think it is that has changed that meant that Netanyahu came out, you know, all guns blazing in his response to it? I think that the kind of strategy that Israel employed in its attack in Gaza in December and January 2008-2009 is actually central to its um, uh, strategic thinking right now. And that is a kind of creating um, a sort of balance of fear, sort of uh, what it called 
uh, a kind of a disproportionate reaction to an attack on it. And I think militarily it comes from the fact that Israeli uh, forces realized that they could no longer effectively combat guerrilla challenges to it. So in the Lebanon war in 2006, it could not have stopped uh, rocket fire as much as it couldn't really stop rocket fire fired onto it from Gaza during the 2008-2009 um, attack. What it can do and what it does is basically extract civilian pain and attempt to, uh, through that, create a kind of fear, devastation, uh, and devastation that would make it, that would enter supposedly into the political calculations of either Hezbollah, the Lebanese government, Hamas, uh, and other organizations in the area. And in fact, what it does is purely state terror, because it is through the it is not it is not really it's kind of its military effort but the kind of civilian casualties that it creates that make these attacks effective we tend to think of what the military calls collateral damage the kind of undesirable byproduct of military attack but when you think of strategies such as uh, what in israel is called a dahya doctrine dahya is the neighborhood in South Beirut where Hezbollah is, uh, holds its stronghold, where in fact it is the, the civilian devastation which seems to be the kind of the price drawn for rocket fire, you understand that there is no, we cannot call it anymore collateral damage. It is actually the, the kind of the effect, it is through that quote-unquote collateral, that the military attack becomes politically effective. Mm. It is the overflowing hospital. It is mm. a civilian mm. casualty. It is the destruction in terms of building, built fabric, homes, etc. That is the price drawn for supporting or harnessing these uh, militant uh, organizations. So if you take away Israel's ability to respond in that way, you really, in, as far as they're concerned, take away its last kind of tool in its, in its uh, military uh, toolbox. This is one way. The second is that it connects very much to the kind of um, non-violent, very effective non-violent resistance campaign that are exemplified by calls for academic boycott, calls mm -hmm cultural and commercial, uh, financial boycott that are uh, somehow within the Israeli kind of psyche resonate very strongly with attempts to sort of isolate them, set them apart from the rest of the world and and, and are really fundamentally kind of uh, threatening for the state. And, and it has, it kind of woken up to that, to these challenges. And I think that from this, we can realize, at least, that these campaigns have had an effect. Mm. You know? I mean, in the kind of, uh, by the negative reaction of the Israeli government, you realize that what we were thinking were some, uh, quote-unquote, loony sort of actions undertaken in some campuses in London or in Montreal, etc., uh, actually have kind of entered both the Israeli and global public understanding mm. of, the, uh, of the conflict and have an effect here. It might be a kind of a sign for a new agency that is created, for a new type of, uh, of resistance to Israeli colonialism. I wanted to ask you, how systematic or how opportunistic do you think Netanyahu's stepping up of the pressure, turning up the heat 
on NGOs and humanitarian organizations has been? I think there's been uh, a government decision and his press office has been very consistent about it and therefore I see that, that it is a kind of um, a campaign that is thought through because I think that the Israeli government itself understands how its own official announcements are, are seen and understood internationally. Mm. It kind of delegates a lot of its propaganda to independent organizations. So it kind of mirrors the sort of NGO network setup that is mm. set supposedly against it with its own set of NGOs. So mm. NGO Monitor has been set up by people from uh, that are related to the Israeli Foreign Ministry. They are being vile in kind of attacking and, and pointing out all sorts of uh, supposed inconsistencies or ideological bias uh, within NGOs, uh, tracking their finances, uh, etc. And uh, others, uh, another organization such as Intirtsu, which is uh, now has been uh, leading, a, I mean, really in these weeks in Israel, a very fierce campaign against uh, Israeli academia in the kind of, uh, you know, with a sort of a very uh, with a search of the curriculum that is being taught in, in humanities program in Israel where critical studies basically, uh, the kind of even the sort of the canon of critical studies mm. like, uh, uh, you know, Foucault, Deleuze, Benedict Anderson, materials like that are being kind of seen as being fundamentally anti-Israeli. Of course, you and I know that... Uh, in, in, in most uh, kind of humanities faculties worldwide, that is the material that you'd see yeah. kind of being taught. But there is a kind of a, an atmosphere of a witch hunt that is undertaken simultaneously by the government and by its uh, proxy uh, NGO groups. Let me ask you in conclusion whether the, the conclusion of your article, if I'm right in reading it as being pessimistic, you talk about the attack on the, um, the flotilla as being an opening shot in a new battle of law and aid. I mean, how pessimistic are you about the direction that things are traveling in? Well, I mean, it's pessimistic and optimistic. I mean, in a, in a way, what, is, what one may be optimistic about is to see that uh, perhaps Israel is now facing a real challenge by international and local human rights groups and groups that are mobilizing international law as a form of critique. And it really faces the heat. And I think that this would allow people like us that are opposing the, the occupation to actually be actually encouraged and, and, and continue with this effort. Of course, there is no salvation in international law and in human rights discourse. This mm. is not a, a revolutionary or liberating discourse, but it has in it the, the potential to call up uh, some points and to call for accountability and something that could be later pushed on further by uh, political organizations that could translate those claims to political realities. On the second hand, I think that uh, because this is the fact and because there is an increased agency, that more and more we will see um, these organizations being targeted, either, you know, verbally it's, uh, mm. it's unpleasant, but violently also. I mean, the Israeli prisons and, and kind of detention centers and uh, the places from which it deports activists are now full of ISM activists, other international activists. It goes and, and, and arrests the Israeli military, enters Ramallah, 
sometimes mm. day, and would arrest those activists and throw them out. So there is a certain kind of stepping up of that violence. We've been also tuned to the fact that more and more people are being killed in nonviolent demonstration along the separation wall and in other places throughout the kind of the frontiers of conflict. Eyal Weizmann. You can read the article he co-authored with Thomas Keenan in the July 2010 issue of Le Monde Diplomatique. You'll find it in the print edition and also on the website at mondediplo.com. Subscribers can also access a complete archive of the paper, as well as blogs, maps, pictures and previous podcasts. That's all for this edition of the podcast, but I hope you'll join me again next month for another in-depth interview with one of our contributors. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.